I want to talk to you today about something that's been on my heart lately, and that's the subject of faith or belief. There's a lot of discussion in the culture these days about faith. You might have heard it as the Catholic Church selected a new pope, where they would, they would say probably faith means religion. Or you might have heard about it in some political discussions when we talk about things like faith-based initiatives, where, where, where that means more like community. Or someone might say they have faith in a person or a sports team. Like some of you today might be saying, I have faith that Abmata is going to get Ohio State to the Final Four. <laughs> but have you thought much about faith? What is it? Do you need it? Is it important? And if so, why? Well, I'm going to ask you right now, take your study guide out of your worship folder. We're going to start this morning in Mark chapter 9. But we are going to be all over the Bible today. So fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. I'm going to start, Mark chapter 9, I'm going to start reading to you in verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed and with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. The man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and, deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Now, both Matthew and Luke also record this incident, but Mark gives us some extra details about it that the others don't. I think this passage has a lot to say to us on the topic of belief or faith. I want to give you some quick observations that I see from looking at this passage. Number one, it's easy to be critical of this man for his incomplete faith, but notice, he believed enough to bring G his son to Jesus in the first place. You notice it says he, he called Jesus teacher. That was a very revered title in the Jewish culture. Number two, the inability of the disciples to help did not deter this man. You know, he didn't just go, well, the disciples can't do anything, I'm out of here. No, it said he, brought, he said specifically, I brought him to you, Jesus, the third thing, Jesus shows some frustration. Oh, you unbelieving generation, how long do I have to put up with you? What's that about? 
Well, listen to what he said. He said, everything's possible for the one who believes. So he's not the only one that could have acted. Here's my, here's my paraphrase. Do I have to do everything around here? <laughs> Number four, Jesus asked this man a question. How long has he been like this? But he already knew the answer. So why did he ask? I would argue that he asked for the people that were hearing him, and frankly, for us here 2,000 years later, to kind of get an idea, what was Jesus up against here? Number five, Jesus could have let the man off the hook for his imperfect belief, but instead he confronted it head on. Now, I think it's easy for us when we deal with folks, you know, maybe when I'm dealing with somebody, go, well, you know, they've been through such a rough time. I don't know if they can handle hearing this truth. No, 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 no. Jesus didn't look at it that way. He took it directly to him, if you can. Number six, Jesus did what he always did. He used the situation as a teachable moment. He wasn't just going around Israel and go, oh, these different things are happening and I'm just doing different things. No, he was using this as an opportunity to show who he was and truths about the kingdom to the folks that were there. Number seven, the man took Jesus at his word without hesitation. It says immediately. He didn't say, well, you know, I really need to think about this. No, he responded right away to what Jesus told him. Number eight, the man recognized his need and asked Jesus for help. He realized if he needed to believe this much for this to happen, and he believed this much, Jesus had to come and be that gap for him. Number nine, Jesus believes in demons and possession. But we're not going to get sidetracked with that this morning. That's a topic for another day. Number 10, with the help of Jesus, the man's faith was made complete. Jesus came and he helped his unbelief. He was that gap for him. And finally, the resulting miracle was the fulfillment of what Jesus had told the man about the power of belief. It wasn't like, hey, just by the way, this theological point, everything's possible for someone who believes. No, he saw it happen right there in front of him. This wasn't theory, it was action. So faith, what is it? Webster says it's firm belief in something for which there is no proof. Or I once heard someone say it this way, faith is something you believe that nobody in his right mind will believe. Or maybe Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews defines it best in verse 1 and says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. In our time remaining today, I want to share with you six truths about faith that I see. And not really so much what I have to say. I'm going to let Scripture mostly speak for itself. Number one, faith is very important to Jesus. I think that's why the man didn't get a free pass from Jesus for his imperfect faith. It's just too important. So I want you to consider these responses of Jesus to situations he faced. Don't take my word for it. Look what Scripture tells us. First, a centurion comes to Jesus. This is in Matthew chapter 8. He's asking for healing for his sick and dying servant. 
And he says, hey, Jesus, you don't even have to come there. If you just say the word, I know he's going to be healed. Verse 10, it says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus calms the storm. The disciples are all afraid. He says what? You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves, and it was completely calm. Luke chapter 5, they bring a paralytic to Jesus. His friends can't get to him because of the crowd. Verse 19, it says this, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Jesus saw their faith and said, friend, your sins are forgiven. A woman who had bleeding, Mark chapter 5, verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Verse 34, he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. A Canaanite woman asked for healing for her daughter, Matthew 15, verse 28. Jesus says to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed at that moment. Blind Bartimaeus sitting by the road, Mark chapter 10, verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 52, go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Luke chapter 7, Jesus is anointed by a quote-unquote sinful woman. And so Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Matthew 13, Jesus visits his hometown. And Jesus said to them, a prophet's not without honor, except in his own town and in his own home, verse 58. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Jesus to Peter, Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Are you seeing the pattern here? Faith is a key component in the ministry and miracles of Jesus. That same pattern carried over with the disciples as they did miracles. I put a couple of references from the book of Acts there. We're not going to take time to look at those, but if you look at those, you'll see the very same pattern as the disciples did things. Faith is very important to Jesus. Second truth about faith. Faith is powerful. Let's take a look for a second at the parallel version of this account of the man and his son in Matthew chapter 17. In verse 19, it says this. None of the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, mustard seeds, a little round seeds, about a millimeter or two in diameter. You look at a ruler, you see a millimeter is very small, right? Now, is this literally true? We always look at scripture, we take it literally. So I go, you know, I have great faith. I think Mount Everest looked better in Kansas. I would say that's probably a figure of speech, not literal. But here's what Jesus is really saying. Even a very tiny amount of faith can do amazing things. Some scripture on this, 1 John 5, verse 4. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 
Hebrews 10, verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our body washed with pure water. Faith gives us the confidence that we can boldly approach God and know that our sins are forgiven if we just ask for that forgiveness. Hebrews 11, the end of the famous faith chapter where the writer of Hebrews lays out how faith worked in the life of all the Israel, uh, the patriarchs of Israel. In verse 32, it kind of wraps up by saying this, and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received They're dead, raised back to life again. That's powerful faith. Faith is powerful. Third truth about faith. Faith comes from God. Now, I think we have this tendency, no, 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 I'm the one that believes. Listen to what Scripture says. Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. You see that? God distributes faith. Or how about Hebrews 12.1? I love these verses. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the the author, pioneer, or author and perfecter of our faith. Faith begins with Jesus, and he perfects it. Romans 10, verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4, Paul says this, My message and my preaching were not wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Faith comes from God. Scripture is very clear about it. Fourth truth about faith. Faith is the basis for good deeds. James 2, verse 14. James, in his very direct way, says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. And if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. We've just finished this series called Love Works. We talked about doing good deeds in the name of Jesus. That's a great thing. Our leadership is challenging us to continue that. But we must be sure that our good deeds are based on and fueled by faith in God, not just good deeds in and of themselves. I think motive is the key here. Why are we doing these good deeds? Look good to other people? 
you know, be a good person. Maybe fulfill some obligation to God. Or are we trying to love others in a way that guides them toward the person of Jesus Christ? Listen to these other scriptures about this. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. Philippians 2, verse 17. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. John 15, verse 5. Pastor Steve talked about this last week. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Faith is the basis for good deeds. It has to be. Fifth truth. Faith is a prerequisite for eternal life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Now, I think we always want to think about the part that says, for it's by grace you've been saved. Absolutely true. But God's given us grace without us doing anything. But it's through faith we take hold of it. You can't separate the two. Yes, the grace, it's all God. But we have to reach out and grab it through faith. Old Testament, Jesus, or, or this is Genesis 15, verse 6. It says, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Well, what's righteousness? It's one of those churchy words. What's that mean? It's the sinless perfection of Jesus. Now, this is a very New Testament kind of thing it's saying here. It's saying Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Here's how Paul says the same kind of thing in, in Romans 3, verse 21. Now apart from the law and the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. What's Paul telling us about this righteousness? That we put our faith in Jesus Christ we can take that righteousness and wrap ourselves in it like a robe. And God looks on, instead of looking on our mess, looks on that sinless perfection of Jesus and sees that. That's what that righteousness means. Romans 1, verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. From first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Acts 26, verse 17. Paul is telling the story of his encounter with Jesus on that Damascus road. And Paul's saying, Jesus said this to him. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that you may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified or cleansed by faith in me. 
Romans 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Faith is a prerequisite for eternal life. You gotta have it. Finally, lastly, one last truth about faith. True faith is not easy. James 1, verse 2, count it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Acts 14, verse 21, then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 2. Pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. Ephesians 6, verse 16. Coming down toward the end of that famous passage about putting on the armor of God, it says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And finally, Romans chapter 5, I'm going to start reading at the beginning of the chapter. It says this. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith, into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, this sequence to me, I think is just fascinating that Paul lays out here. First of all, he says suffering produces perseverance. Now, I think I get that. As we go through difficult times, we learn to, to go through things, to push through things. You know, we need, to get, we need to get to a point where we go, oh, you know, this is too hard, I give up. We need that perseverance. And then perseverance produces character. We grow as who we are because we go through these things. We learn to say, this hurdle is too high and it's like a line painted on the ground. I give up. No, 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 no. Perseverance produces character. And then character produces hope. Now this one is a little maybe tougher to figure out. What's he saying? I think when we have true character, it does give us hope. We begin, why? Because we're not thinking about our circumstances. We're not looking about all the things that are going this way or that way in our life. We're more focused on our identity, who we are in Christ. And then it says, hope does not put us to shame. Um, a couple other translations say it doesn't lead us to disappointment. You know, I'd say this, you put your hope in God, you're not going to be disappointed. The passage says it's because of God's love, and so it is. But I think the other thing I would argue, it's because of faith. Why? Because that faith is 
belief in the tangible result of God's love, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus himself came to earth in human form. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins as our substitute. He rose to life again on the third day, victorious over sin and death. And he's alive even today, seated at the right hand of God the Father. And that leads me to this. The ultimate act of perseverance based on faith was the garden. Jesus is our example in everything. So how did he put his perseverance into action? Listen to this from Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. When Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, a garden, he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, God, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy, so he left them and went away one more time and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Put yourself in that place for just a moment. Jesus was in the process of being betrayed. His closest friends let him down in his critical time of need. He poured his heart out to them in that upper room. And they still didn't get it. Jesus knew what was coming. He still laid down his own desires in favor of the Father's will. He stuck with God's plan even though it had the ultimate price tag. Christ's ultimate act of perseverance was based on perfect faith. It's the sacrifice that resulted from perfect faith that we commemorate today through the Lord's table. We do this to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. The communion elements are going to be up here. They're on tables. If you know Jesus your Savior, you're welcome to partake. Before you partake, Scripture tells us we ought to examine ourselves. So I'm asking you this morning, take a few moments and ask God, is there something in my life that shouldn't be there? Or maybe there's something that should be there and isn't. Ask him. He doesn't want to keep it a secret from you. The prayer partners are going to come right now. They're going to be here to pray with you if you need it. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior this morning, they're here for you. They would love to show you how you can know him. I just ask you to have the boldness to come and take a step of faith yourself and talk to them. But they're here for any prayer need this morning. Maybe you're going, 
I don't know what God's saying to me. I just sense that as this message has been going on, God's been talking to me, they would love to pray with you about that. Take time, do your business with God, then partake of the Lord's table. The worship team's gonna sing, but there's still plenty of time. Just because the singing starts, that doesn't mean your time is up. You take all the time you need. Let me pray. Jesus, we can't thank you enough for your, your perseverance, your perfect faith that led to the obedience that took you to the cross on our behalf. May the truth of the gospel over, just overtake us in our hearts and minds during this time right now, anew and afresh. Maybe there's someone here that's hearing it for the first time today, or maybe we've heard it a thousand times. May we see it as sweet and precious as it is. God, if there's one here that doesn't know you, I pray that you give them the boldness, God, to come. And as we think through what you might be saying to us in these moments, God, just like that man, help our unbelief. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.